The morning of October the 30th, 2007, was clear and cold. Lieutenant Ross Pixler and his platoon, based just north of Salman Park, Iraq, had received intelligence that suggested that there was a cache of weapons located nearby. That morning, their mission was to find and destroy it. They set out in a convoy with Ross's Bradley in the lead, followed by two Humvees with another Bradley bringing up the rear. On their second stop that morning, they had to drive their Bradleys off the road. Intelligence had guided them to a grid coordinate way off the road. The location was between a cemetery and a farm. The company suspected that the insurgents often used the cemetery to store caches of weapons. In the middle was a narrow strip of land between the two. Because of the laws of war, the army's rules of engagement, and basic human decency, Ross and his patrol were not going to drive over the cemetery or destroy the farm. They were forced to drive down this narrow piece of land, something the insurgents clearly knew. Ross recalled that, we were traveling very slow, less than five miles an hour, as slow as a Bradley fighting vehicle can go. I remember yelling, stop, because I felt in my gut that something wasn't right. There was no indication of anything. There was nothing. No people out. The farm was empty. Everything about the situation gave me a bad vibe. After I said stop, the vehicle slowed until... The lead Bradley shot up in the air. Pieces of metal flew in all directions. Ross couldn't see anything and wasn't sure if he was alive or dead. He didn't know what was going on. My head had gone through the computer screen that sat in front of me. I looked over and began feeling for my gunner, Sergeant Victor Laronde. Victor! Victor! He wasn't responding at first, but I shook him and he answered me. He was bleeding all over his face. It was chaotic. I poked my head out. Couldn't see anything outside the Bradley because of the cloud of smoke, dust and dirt. Fuel was dumping everywhere. No one in the platoon expected anyone to survive the explosion. I'm Carrie Varu Heikis, and welcome to the new Army Matters. Bobby Sickler, Anthony Fusilero, Ross Pixler, Nick Eslinger, Stephen Tangen. You've probably never heard of these five men. I know I hadn't until very recently, but these five, all army officers, are the definition of morally courageous. When they each found themselves in the worst possible scenario on death's door, they responded not with trying to save themselves, but rather the lives of their fellow soldiers and officers. They didn't have to think about it, didn't have to prepare. They knew it should be done, and they did it. Today's episode profiles a recently released book, Elite Souls, Portraits of Valor in Iraq and Afghanistan, that dives into the stories of these five men. Host Joe Craig chats with the author, Dr. Ray Raymond, about his book, What Turned These Men Into the Heroes They Became, and the definition of something crucial, moral courage. 
Dr. Raymond is a great storyteller, as witnessed by his narration at the top of this episode. So let's find out what he has to say. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm Joe Craig of AOSA's book program. My guest today is Dr. Raymond James Raymond. He is a former British diplomat and an adjunct professor in the Department of Social Sciences at the United States Military Academy. During his diplomatic career, Dr. Raymond worked on political and military issues for NATO, international trade policy, and U.S.-U.K. relations. The late Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II honored Dr. Raymond with the Order of the British Empire, and the Chief of Staff of the U.S. Army presented him with an Outstanding Civilian Service Medal. Dr. Raymond, welcome to the show. It's a great pleasure to be here, Joe. And before we start, allow me to thank you for your unswerving support. This book would not have reached this state without you. Well, it was my pleasure to help out. I'm excited to have it as part of the AUSA book program. Before we dive in, I, I want to take a moment to focus on the title, Elite Souls. It's certainly an interesting phrase. So would you share with us the significance? It was the inspiring concept, if you will, because it comes from a French 19th century military thinker, Colonel Ardant Dupic, who argued essentially that Physical courage on the battlefield comes from moral courage. This moral courage is rooted in a moral culture, and this moral culture is to be found among elite souls, hence the title of the book. How do you see the difference between moral courage and physical courage? Well, it's one flows from the other, but I think perhaps a more interesting, perhaps more helpful distinction is to be drawn between bravery and courage. Criminals can be brave if you go back to the 1920s. I mean, John Dillinger, the notorious gangster of the 1920s, was brave, but he wasn't courageous because really what we're talking about here is that moral courage is bravery, but it's bravery which is designed to achieve a moral purpose. It has a greater good at stake. It's not just about selfishness. It's about sacrificing for others. So for this book, you're portraying that greater sense of courage by following the exploits of five men. How did you choose these specific five officers? I had completed uh, a number of years ago an extended essay on the origins of the Purple Heart, and I was looking to build on that project to investigate the nature of courage on the battlefield more fully. And I must confess, I struggled with it for a long, long time to try to define the project down to a uh, a workable, practical level. And eventually, it kind of struck me straight in the face, and I just wasn't seeing it. At West Point, there is an annual award, the Ninja Medal, to recognize exceptional selfless courage on the battlefield by a younger officer. And I thought, that's it right in front of me was the Ninja Medal. And I thought to myself, why didn't I think of it earlier? Wonderful. In the book, you speak about these Ninja recipients as embodying a combination of what you call outstanding ability and exceptional moral character. Mm -hmm. So given the sense you know, that these guys coming from different backgrounds, where did they find that common core of moral character? I think they found it in a number of areas, Joe. It begins with exceptional parents and exceptional families. Every one of them had mothers and fathers who not only taught great values, but lived them. And they really personified in their own lives and their own actions what a moral 
person, what a serious, credible, selfless person lives like. In addition, I think that was reinforced by their religious beliefs. Um, Four of them were and are active practicing Christians. The fifth was not a regular churchgoer, but still was brought up by these core principles. I think it was also reinforced by the support and the guidance of remarkable coaches in sport and indeed in academics. And so by the time they came to apply to West Point, they wanted to come to the academy for moral reasons. Their family was at the heart, if you will, of a moral ecosystem which nurtured these values of selflessness so that by the time they got to the academy, they had a strong moral foundation and West Point then built on that very, very successfully. You show how family upbringing for these five men developed their sense of moral courage. How about your own experience? Was there something in your background that made you interested in this topic? In a military context, yes. My grandfather, who was killed in the First World War, volunteered to serve at a time when he would not have been drafted. He was over the draft age in Britain at the time. He was married and with children. And if you're over the draft age with children and married, you weren't going to be drafted into the trenches of the First World War. He went, he volunteered to go, and he was killed. Perhaps a more immediate uh, presence was my cousin Joe, who was a career officer in the Royal Navy. He escorted the ships carrying Lend-Lease equipment from the United States to not just the UK, but then onto the even more dangerous route to the Soviet Union. Joe, being one of the Navy's best younger commanders, was entrusted with the task of commanding a frigate on that near suicidal run to Murmansk. This was August 1943. Joe's ship was actually bracketed by a couple of bombs from a German aircraft T, and a handful of his crew were blown into the sea and were very lucky to survive because in those waters near the Arctic Circle, you can survive in the summer for about five minutes. That's it. In the wintertime, it's almost instantaneous death uh, because of the sheer cold. But Joe gathered his crewmen together held their arms, kept them singing, and enabled a rescue to take place because the official rule in the Royal Navy in those days was you can't stop to pick up survivors. But the unofficial rule within, uh, held amongst all Royal Naval officers on, those, on that mission was that you could slow down to a pretty slow pace as long as the actual crew were held together and you could throw a net over the side, which is what a convoy escort vessel behind him did and rescued him. He was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for his valor. Those are incredible stories. Very inspiring. Moving back to the inspiring stories in Elite Souls, two of the men went on from West Point to Fort Rucker to become aviators. Would you tell us about Tony Fusilero and Bobby Sickler? They were and are two exceptionally courageous uh, young officers now promoted to Lieutenant Colonel. In the case of Tony Fusilaro, Tony had deployed with his unit in Afghanistan, operating out of Kandahar Air Base. But what occurred was that they were made aware of a situation on the ground which was very dangerous. A 
about 20 young engineers were then surrounded by over 100 Taliban. Colonel Mike Morgan, and indeed Tony Fossilaro, then Lieutenant Fossilaro, came in and gave every possible support in their Kiowas. They deployed all the weapons they had, but both uh, Colonel Morgan and Tony were very low on fuel, out of ammunition. And what they did, both of them, was to turn around and fly into a hail of heavy machine gun fire, anti-aircraft gun fire, with nothing in their hand other than a carbine or carbine, as Americans would say, firing a carbine to distract the Taliban so that the engineers could get back to their armored vehicles, get turned around and come out. That's pretty extraordinary, extraordinary heroism. In Bobby's case, what he did was to uh, recognize uh, a very serious danger, namely a zoo uh, anti-aircraft weapon system, which would have ripped a Kiowa to pieces. Bobby kept up this pursuit for over eight hours, tracking them through Mosul. Halfway through the mission, his helicopter was extremely badly damaged and limped back to uh, their base at Mosul Airport. Then, without asking for orders, he simply got out of his helicopter with his co-pilot and ran over to the squadron spare Kiowa, got in it, took off, and pursued these insurgents again and took them out and protected his squadron's safety. What was interesting was that when he landed, he was afraid that he was going to get uh, bowled out by the colonel for having acted without orders. On the contrary, his uh, squadron commander, Colonel Jameson, was beaming and applauding his courage. It was certainly worth applauding. Now we have to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll hear more about these five heroes and what lessons we can learn from them. Have you purchased your AUSA swag yet? Be proud to show your support for AUSA, which in turn shows your support for the U.S. Army and our soldiers. Check out all AUSA swag at shop.ausa.org. We're back with Dr. Ray Raymond to discuss his book, Elite Souls, Portraits of Valor in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, Dr. Raymond, before the break, we were discussing two aviators who saved the lives of their fellow soldiers by risking their own lives. Two of the other men in the book, Nick Esslinger, Stephen Tangen, were infantrymen who led the same platoon in different deployments, one in Iraq and one in Afghanistan. Would you tell us a little bit about their feats of valor? Nick Esslinger was a remarkable young West Point graduate class of 2005. He was deployed to Iraq. He'd only been a platoon commander for a few months in October of 2008. He was on patrol in a neighborhood of Samara very tall mud brick walls when a grenade came over the wall. His response was to dive on it, to save his soldiers' lives. That is extraordinary. Luckily, it didn't go off. It was an old East German design and it didn't work the way it was supposed to, thank heavens. Uh, Nick threw the hand grenade around the corner of the wall and then it exploded. But he had saved the lives of his soldiers who were all in a very narrow area and the casualty levels would have just been appalling. In Stephen's case, this was in Afghanistan in 2010 and Stephen was leading an attempt to retake a key valley in Afghanistan, the Gorky Valley. They too were ambushed uh, on a very narrow road with virtually no cover 
um, very little space to be able to turn around. Only four of the entire platoon had had any prior combat experience. So this was a very young, inexperienced platoon. Stephen mobilized them, organized them, and led a firefight that went on in over 100 degree heat for 12 hours. What made, I think, his accomplishment especially remarkable was that one of his staff sergeants was shot through the neck and, of course, bled out almost immediately. Stephen had to carry his lifeless body back to the casualty clearing point and return and take command of his unit again, and eventually, indeed, with additional support to carry on and complete his mission of uh, clearing Daridam in the Gaki Valley. Again, extraordinary heroism. And keep in mind that in both these infantry cases, we are talking about young men still in their early 20s. Now, the fifth warrior is Ross Pixler. He's had to overcome a number of obstacles in his career, even before he got into West Point. Ross is a remarkable man. He's a, a rugged mountaineer son of the West. And his application to West Point was initially turned down because they believed he had asthma. He didn't, in fact. It was caused by adverse atmospheric conditions in Arizona. And in fact, fortunately, his application was rescued by the military liaison officer from West Point who rang up his old classmate, who was then commandant, and said, you can't possibly turn this young man down. Let me tell you what he did. What he did was to rescue his close friend, Jared, on Mount Torreziba, I believe the highest mountain in Mexico. And in the course of doing that, had to run literally for miles through the snow, through the ice. And basically, the argument from the MLA was, well, my gosh, you know, if he can do that, he can do anything. He also had a, a challenging time in Iraq. But once he was transferred, he performed magnificently. And in this case, I think what's especially important to note, he was commanding a Bradley fighting vehicle. And it was ambushed with an IED, over 500 pounds of explosive. And you can just, and listeners can well imagine the impact that that had lifting the vehicle, you know, 20 feet or more off the ground. His soldiers in the rear of the vehicle were killed instantly. Ross suffered um, concussion, uh, a very badly damaged uh, neck. His face was thrust forward into the computer, into the computer screen in front of the vehicle. And yet, he rescued his driver, he rescued his gunner, despite suffering these very serious injuries, and led the uh, firefight against the insurgents for over three hours until support arrived and the insurgents withdrew, which is quite extraordinary. What lessons do these elite souls have for the rest of us? I know as a parent myself of two boys, both now in their 20s, I often ask myself, how do I measure up to the standards set by their parents? I don't think I do. I tried my best, but I don't think I do. But I think we need to ask ourselves, are we trying to live lives of moral purpose? Are we not only teaching good values, but are we living them? Are we trying to be selfless? As David Brooks, the great New York Times columnist who also inspired me greatly, David Brooks makes this point very clearly that, you know, a life worth living is a life of moral purpose. 
where you are, as a parent, certainly, you are not just teaching good values, but you're really trying to live them. You're trying to show by example the uh, qualities that you want your sons or daughters to grow up to be. And I think that's a tremendously important lesson here um, in parenting, also to reach out and try to engage your children in activities that will foster that sense of self-discipline, that sense of selflessness. I'm not sure we can bottle the genius of these five officers, but I think as parents, all of us, we have to try and guide them to a life of clear moral purpose. One final question. You're able to get these five officers to open up and reveal moments that can be quite traumatic. Was it hard to convince them to share their stories with you? Actually, no, because I was very lucky. I had the support of my old and dear friend, then CEO of the Association of Graduates, Colonel Retired, Bob uh, McClure. Bob knew me for many years because of my work at West Point trusted me. I trusted him. He, as head of the uh, body awarding the Ninja Medal, wrote to each of the five, uh, basically attesting to me. Also, I'm deeply grateful to my dear friend and department chair, Colonel Suzanne Nielsen, who also wrote a letter on my behalf. So they had the benefit of that. And then basically, uh, after that, they interviewed me. They wanted to be sure, and I think they were absolutely right, to be sure that I was someone who would tell their story honestly, respectfully, and accurately. And uh, whatever reviews might be, I don't care. What I do care is what the five of them thought. I know that getting officers, soldiers to speak about their combat experience is not an easy task. Well, I think they should all be happy with this book. It's a testament to their accomplishments, and more importantly, it's a testament to their moral courage. So thank you, Dr. Raymond, for being our guest today. A privilege and pleasure, Joe. Thank you. Dr. Raymond's new book is Elite Souls, Portraits of Valor in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's available in bookstores and online. I'm Joe Craig of AUSA's book program. Thanks for listening. Have a great Army day. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Army Matters is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission, educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and supporters of a strong national defense. Today's episode was hosted by Joe Craig and anchor hosted by Carrie Byroheckes. The producer and writer is Anthony Dale Call and supervising sound editor is Andy Bosnack. And Zinga Curry is the executive producer and the senior producers are Carrie Byroheckes and LaSharon Duncan. Special thanks to Angela King, Angela Pubel, and Michelle Cabotaje for their help. Be sure to subscribe to Army Matters wherever you get your podcasts and please leave a review. As you know, we love seeing stars in the Army, especially if it comes in the form of a five-star review. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. I'm with Sharon Duncan. Hope you have a great Army day. Hooah.